What's up, everyone? Hello, hello, hello. Happy April 27th. Um, how are you guys doing? Hope you're all doing well today. Um, if the music cut out for that brief moment, uh, it happened again where I uh, went to go share this on Instagram and the app uh, had it restart. So my bad. Uh, just going to keep that in mind. Also, I just posted the wrong Instagram account also. So, oh, well, that's okay. Life goes on. Um, so hello, guys. Um, I wanted to make this episode specifically around the partial solar eclipse that's happening this Saturday. Um, and it's not visible everywhere. So just going to kind of come out and like sort of say that first. It's going to be visible in like areas where it's like, some areas it's hard to get to like Antarctica and then there are parts of South America that it's visible but not all of South America because it's very large um, and then you've got a few other locations that uh, might be able to see it uh, that are closer to the Pacific and Atlantic Oceans. Um, so with that being said, um, unless you're planning a trip this weekend to one of these locations, you might not be able to catch the eclipse, but that's okay because I put together a few different things that are happening, um, as far as eclipse go for this year. Uh, and I did check out also my location and if you guys want, I could always put in your location. So let's kick it off with leaving a comment in the chat, um, of where it is that you are listening in from. Um, I know some of you are listening in from, I think, parts of the U.S., some of you from outside of the U.S., so I would just be very curious to kind of hear where you all are listening from. Um, and also, I know that we didn't get to get to uh, a couple callers last time, so we definitely can get to that this time if you'd like. But let's hop into first uh, stuff about this eclipse. So... Um, Let's see. We've got uh, a few different links that I'm going to share with you all. So for my friends who are not in the part of the Southern Hemisphere who can catch this, here is a link to the live stream where you can watch it. Uh, let me double check where it's going to be live streaming from. So this is on um, – this was shared from space.com. This is on someone's page that I can't pronounce their name. It's Guyon Key Garibi. I guess I could pronounce that. wasn't too wasn't too difficult. Um, and they're not quite saying where they're going to be broadcasting from. Partial solar eclipse. I'm on their website right now, um, and it looks like okay. They've put in their coordinates. Okay, so it looks like they're it's in India Standard Time IST. So let's go ahead and check out their coordinates of where they are. Um, it's showing me the middle of water. So just, okay, that's interesting. Maybe they're live streaming from a boat. I'm so curious of who this person is that's going to be live streaming. I have to tune in now. Um, if it wasn't shared from, from a valid source like space.com, I'd be a little bit weary of this of this YouTube link, to be honest. Oh, here we go. It says that he's an Indian-based YouTuber streamer who broadcasts live views of, of full moons, rocket launches, and other space events. Wow. So I guess this person is going to be going to the ocean to live stream this because the coordinates literally show not even any land. It just shows like in the South Pacific Ocean. So this should be very interesting. Um, so I, I definitely recommend you guys using that link to kind of check that out. Um, oh, that's cool. Astro KV YouTube name. It means poverty of 
of knowledge, poverty of knowledge, though. Interesting, poverty uh, of knowledge. Um, so I'm going to look, I'm gonna look into that a little bit more into uh, this person's account. This is like really interesting. I guess they've got quite a lot of events that they've shared. I'm, I'm loading their page right now. Uh, they've got the launch of NASA's laser communications. Yeah. Well, either way, it seems like there isn't really anyone else who's probably going to be uh, maybe live streaming this eclipse. So it should be pretty cool. So just a quick briefer, uh, solar eclipses. This is um, a little bit different than when a lunar eclipse happens. Um, I'm actually looking it up real quick because I, I tend to mix up actually the the order sometimes of where where, where that's actually uh, typically happening. But it's usually when the moon um, is crossing between the Earth and the sun. Or if you're on Mars, you know, you might have an eclipse from Earth, <laughs> which would be pretty cool. Solar eclipse due to due to Earth, uh, Earth shadow. And as it passes in front, it's casting this very tiny shadow on um, our pale blue dot. And uh, it doesn't cross, you know, too much of of the globe. Typically, it'll usually have a specific line if it is a total solar eclipse. So if it's lined up just right, where it's able to block the majority of the sun minus the corona, which is that outer rim that you'll typically see in solar eclipse images. Um, and if that's the case, then that would be along the line of, the, of something called the path of totality. And so this is uh, an area that uh, is typically like really, you know, like it's like the hot spot to go to. Uh, not literally because it'll probably actually drop in temperature because you're going to have that lack of, of sunlight and radiation and photons uh, being absorbed by, you know, your skin. Um, so with that being said, it's going to be a little bit uh, different since this one is a partial uh, solar eclipse. So what that means is it's blocking only part of the sun's light from our perspective. So the moon, as it passes between us and the sun, it's only blocking some of the light. This specific eclipse is estimated estimated to be blocking about 67% is what I was gathering, 64%. Um, so, and this is, uh, you know, again, various uh, source, sources of information from NASA, uh, A.T. Sinclair, so right now I am on space.com's website looking at their article and they have quite a few uh, really good animations that can help sort of just visualize it for you. So I'm going to go ahead and share that in the chat as well. Um, so if you guys want to go ahead and check that out, I just attached a link for the space.com uh, coverage of this specific partial eclipse. And it's really cool because uh, if you go to the first one it looks like the web page is being a little bit wonky for me right now there was one that i saw which showed both the shadow of nighttime let's see so it's it's not loading for me but it would be the first uh kind of like simulation if when you go on the site and it shows this like curvature um of shadow and that is when uh, that part of the globe is experiencing nighttime. And so it's typically then turned away, away from the sun or not in the path of the sunlight. And you'll then start to see this small little yellow uh, sort of section start to highlight. And that is right where the sun is starting to uh, reflect onto the surface of the planet. 
and then that's right when the eclipse is going to happen. So if you check out that animation, um, again, not sure why it's not loading for me. Uh, maybe it's because I have my ad blocker on. Let's see. Pause on this site. That should do the trick. Um, then it should be able to show you basically like where exactly um, where exactly that part is and where it's happening. And when you do check it out and, you, and you're looking at it, it'll show this oh excuse me i found i found the site i was on the wrong site it's on timeanddate.com here we go the simulation that i was talking about is the eclipse shadow path and that tiny little part where it shows yellow highlight you can see just how like minimal amount of land it actually covers uh so it's only a very small tip of argentina south america in south america so it's like that very very bottom tip right by patagonia and then you've got just a small amount of uh antarctica that's being covered but a lot of the ocean so I guess any ocean life would be able to experience that, which is pretty cool. If you move into the second diagram, you're also seeing that, which is really cool. They do such a good job with these simulations, uh, which I really like. I think that's that's pretty cool. Um, and then the second one, as you start to see, it starts to be visible. It starts to reach up towards Chile, and then it just starts to get like a little bit darker. So as far as the time that this is going to be happening... Um, the, for the first location to see, it's, and again, it, all, all the information is here, so I don't necessarily need to read it to you all. I really want to come on here to sort of share where you guys could be like kind of checking checking out more, most of this. Um, I won't be able to go and see this, unfortunately, but I think it'll be really fun if some of you get to go see it or maybe anyone you know that's going to be catching it. So the partial uh, part of the eclipse, like right when it began begins, uh, is going to be right on April 30th, um, and this says 1845. So that's about, let's see, this is 3.45 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. So 1.45 p.m. Uh, Central Time. Excuse me, 2.45 p.m. Eastern, 1.45 p.m. Central. So that being said, this is going to be a really... Um, yeah, it should be pretty cool if, if you're able to see it because it's going to be in the middle of the day, uh, which if you guys got to catch the uh, kind of great eclipse, the great American eclipse is I think what it was called. That was something that was um, really just ideal conditions. It was the middle of the day. It was during summertime. The weather was great, at least in New York. And it was really fun um, because you were able to sort of catch it right in the smack middle of the day. Um, so this is going to be happening uh, right when it reaches, let's see, the maximum amount, the maximum point. If you head to this link, you can see kind of what it would essentially be looking like. So if you want to open that up and check that out with me, um, it's going to be, should be a slightly different link than the first one, um, or maybe it's not, but the very, very first simulation um, it's showing the orbit of the moon, um, and sorry, the shadow of the moon is not the orbit. I got mistaken by that circle. Um, and then what it's doing, and then right when it reaches that maximum part where it's basically like circle on top of circle, um, and then and then you don't see it anymore because then the sun is already setting. So again, I think you guys should definitely check these out um, on your own. 
But what I like a lot about this, I'm going to start to digress a little bit, is right at the bottom, it talks about uh, other upcoming eclipses. So I went ahead and I clicked on eclipses visible in Austin. And it shared with me that on, on May 15th at 11, 11 p.m., there will be a lunar eclipse, a total lunar eclipse that's happening um, and visible from Austin. And so this should be visible also from other areas of the Northern Hemisphere. So that is something that it, you can look forward to. This is going to be happening. Let's see. It says it's about 8.32 p.m. is when it reaches the penumbra. Uh, we talked about this last time. This is um, when the Earth is blocking the sunlight from the moon. So now the Earth is the one that's in between the moon and the sun. And from Earth's shadow, there's an outer region kind of shaped like a triangle and then an inner region. The inner region is a much more dense shadow. It's a lot darker because uh, there's just like the full mass of the body of the planet is blocking the sun. Whereas the outer edges, some of that sunlight is is sort of, you know, passing around the curvature of Earth. It's sort of bending as it reaches the moon. And so you have a shadow, you have that light that's being dimmed, but not being dimmed completely to darkness. So the penumbra is this outer shadow. The umbra is this inner shadow. And that's the inner shadow and the umbra is typically where that total eclipse happens. So really cool chart here. Um I'm going to go ahead and once again, share that link in Zchat. So there that is. And it kind of just walks us through like the night and what it's going to look like. Um, lunar eclipses are different than solar eclipses in the way that like it won't be as like visibly shocking so quickly because it, it takes a while. Even if you look at this chart, it shows from 8.30 p.m. until 1.50 a.m. is the, you know, the whole cycle of the eclipse. So it takes a while. And even when it starts to move into that maximum eclipse phase where it's kind of that reddish color, uh, even when that happens, it's going to be redder. It's going to be dimmer. It's going to look like not, you know, like a bright full moon. But uh it's not going to look like how the sun, you know, like how a solar eclipse when you have the moon blocking the sun and it's just like really spectacular events. All of the earth gets dark for, or all of the, the city, wherever you are that's viewing, it gets like really dark for just like a few minutes and then, you know, the objects move out of orbit. And so slightly different experience, um, but should still be pretty cool. Um, I'm excited to kind of check this out. I might, let's see. May 15th. Not sure what I'm doing that day, but if I will be here, so I'm probably going to try to go camping, uh, which would be pretty cool. So try to catch this, I think, during like it, maybe in like a dark sky could be really great, um, away from city lights, away from light pollution. And speaking of uh, about light pollution and city lights, um, I scheduled a, another episode of Space Talk for tomorrow to sort of help those of us who are maybe living in cities or are around a lot of light pollution. Um, one thing is just over the years, I've just really started to learn different tips and hacks to kind of deal with light pollution and still be able to stargaze just growing up in New York City, just, you know, is like, really, I, I've, I've just really got the... Um, the, the majority of that light pollution when trying to stargaze. So I've got some of that. But then I've also decided to put together some different like 
tools, some like resources, like different inf- like areas of information where you could get stuff, um, and also different like materials that you could use. Uh, so like specific, you know, objects, things you could use on your camera to help filter out light pollution or, um, you know, things for your own eyes, how to get your eyes adjusted uh, and stuff like that. So a few, a few different tips um, that I'm going to put together. And then, of course, you know, things that you guys could either either check out online on your own or things that you could purchase or apps you could download. There's just like so many different things out there. So trying to sort of put all that together for us. So this is the uh, lunar eclipse that's going to be happening on May 15th. Looks really cool. If you don't want to try to capture the whole time lapse, if you're not doing astrophotography, then just head outside around 11, 11 p.m. Uh, This is when it's going to be closest to the center of the shadow of Earth. So it's going to be pretty nice. Pretty, pretty nice. Uh, So let's head back to this solar eclipse. I just want to make sure I didn't miss out on any information. Um... Of, of what I wanted to share. Definitely get, if you're going to be catching this event, get solar filtered glasses um, for sure. Um, I remember being in, in New York when like the eclipse was happening and everyone's passing around each other's glasses because no one, <laughs> not a lot of people had their own. So um, that's something. The live stream goes live at 1.45 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. So keep that in mind. The eclipse is going to be happening um sometime around like 3 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. So about 2.45 is when it'll start. Um, and then the maximum eclipse is going to happen uh, about 4.41 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. So if you want to wait to tune into that live stream, uh, try to tune in around 4.30 p.m. And you'll probably start to see a really prominent view of this eclipse. And let's hope for this YouTuber to have uh, clear skies. Let's hope that um, they will not have like any type of, you know, issues when it comes to the sky, especially if they're going to be going out. I don't know if they're going to be on a boat or what, but their uh, coordinates show the middle of, um, of the, of the ocean. So this should be interesting. Uh, it also mentions it's a partial eclipse. It's magnitude, maximum eclipse, coordinates, time. So this will be at 2.11 India Standard Time. So this is early in the morning, so about 2 a.m. for those who are in India. And yeah, so definitely go ahead and check that out. I think that'll be really cool. Um, And let's see, does anyone want to join and chat about anything or ask any questions? Um, I believe I've allowed for this this episode to be open for anyone to just tap the call in button. So feel free to. In the meantime, I'm going to head to apod.nasa.gov. Ooh, it looks like we've got a caller already, Joshua. Let's take you next. Alrighty. What's up, Joshua? Hey, do you mind if we hearken back to the last episode a little bit and talk about uh, work-life sure. balance? Yeah. Um, so, um, so while you guys were talking, I actually pulled out a book that my son um, found and provided to me after I didn't achieve good work-life balance in my first career. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it was it, it talks about what's happening at home, you know, is, is one of the titles, and just balancing work and refuge in the information age. It's actually by Maggie Jackson. Um, and I just kind of wanted, you know, based on some of the talking that you've 
done in regards to what you want to do and writing children's books and things like that. Some of the things that I've been chewing on in the last six years since I got out of, you know, hardcore professional space is shorter work weeks um, that support like a family without having to have dual incomes. Um, more of a Scandinavian model in regards to education. Um, and, you know, it's essentially looking at new paradigms in regards to education. And, and you've, I believe, kind of talked about this, too. I don't want to put words in your mouth um, in regards mm -hmm. to how we teach children. And maybe even like, you know, the way we're doing it could really free, we could free parents up to do it for themselves in different ways with tools and technology. Um, and, you know, I'll just kind of sum up here, you know, from the way I see it, we need to kind of maybe focus less on consumption and production for consumption or production's sake and more on mm -hmm. play and exploration and, and having, you know, a family space events and viewings is kind of part of that. That just seems, I mean, maybe I'm a dreamer, but that seems like kind of a really cool way to go. And if we have more time as families to really dedicate ourselves to those types of endeavors, I think the creativity and the artistic and the engineering and the things that will come out of that, like that's Renaissance oriented uh, from, uh, yeah. I know that's sloppy, but that I, you know, it, last show really kind of got me uh, thinking about that. And I had missed the Feynman show, which I was sorry about, but caught that. So thank you for that. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad you, you hopped on to, to share this. What was the name of the book? Oh, sorry. If you happen to have it. No, that's okay. <laughs> it's what's happening at home. Um, I, I, okay. I put, I put notes all over it now. I'd send it to you, but my notes may or may not make sense. But, you know, I wrote notes based on having this call. Yeah, no, I'm going to check it out. Um, and that's t perfectly okay. I always love the, I always love a crisp new book anyway. Um, it's like one of my favorite things. I've tried to do a Kindle, but I just, I just love something about turning pages. So uh, let's see, what was I going to say about that? That you reminded me of, um, we, we had a caller um, call in and, and mention, and you mentioned the kind of a Scandinavian uh, style of education. And she was mentioning about apprenticeship that it's typically introduced to high school students. And uh, this would give them an opportunity to work in the field of their choice and to really experience it and have not only like, you know, be able to experience their, you know, opinion in it and say, oh, do I actually want to do this or do I not? But also gaining true working experience while also still finishing up your high school education. And I think that that's a, such a great model to approach. Um, so I'm totally with you on that. And I love, I wrote this down um, from something you said was that rather than consumption, if we then, if we instead kind of like allowed for exploring and playing to be done, you know, that would be what would lead to different things like new inventions and stuff like that and, and new engineering. Um, and I, I'm completely there for that. I think that that's something that just like personally as a learner, that's how I've learned the best was rather through the, the realm of consumption through actually just playing, exploring, trying different things. And this is what tr trigger like new ideas, new creations. And if we did have, I think more of a society that was based around that, we also would probably then in a way, maybe not completely solve 
climate issues, but I think could really start to lessen that impact because if we're lessening our sort of obsession with cons- consumption, consumption, we would be, you know, kind of causing for us to sort of rethink our structures when it comes to business establishments and companies and making new things. We say, well, there isn't such high, a high demand for these types of clothing items or these types of material goods. So maybe we need to just completely change that and instead push that towards different kinds of things that don't need to be consumed, but can actually enhance our lives. Does, does that make you think of uh, something else? I see you unmuted your mic. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I mean, I mean, we, you and I have touched on climate change before. Um, and, uh, you know, so, I mean, if we kind of look at more regenerative practices in businesses, things that are green and energy sovereignty oriented, but also aren't, you know, extractive. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, like even like with what we're going through right now, like life is so busy, it's chaotic. And then there's a, a lot of negative stuff, you know, and fear self. Um, but, you know, hope also sells. And I look at like a country like Bhutan. Um, and I know like a lot of people are going to say, oh, like, that's very hippie. Like we can never get there. Um, but, you know, a quality of life index versus GDP. Like if the planet needs us to slow down, what if we just allow ourselves to slow down and work with her as opposed to just fighting her for a while and see what regenerates? Because um, on a climate basis, like we talk about sustainability and net zero, but we're nowhere close to meeting those goals um, or, or doing the things that we need to do, especially right now with the escalations that we've seen. Um, mm-hmm. But um, if we talk about regeneration and not as if it's pie in the sky, and if we can do it at scale organically without you know, chemical additives and herbicides and things like that, which, I mean, I'm going to get arguments about whether or not that's possible. Um, I just, I see a different planet. Um, and I see us also getting off of it, but getting off of it in a responsible way as opposed to just a few people getting to play. Like, mm-hmm. it, it's like more well, people have equity of choice of what they get to do in their dreams in the long term. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and that's the thing. Um, I'm going to touch on what you just mentioned about rather than like, you know, a few individuals who get to sort of do it as, as play is. That's something that if our, I think, structure societally was a little bit different, like you mentioned, it was less pushed towards what can we create in order for people to consume. And it was more around like play, creativity. Uh, and I guess really it has to come down to just economics, right? Because like, I guess that's why there's so many things around consumption, because consumption is how you can generate a lot of money for a company. And so I think that that's probably why that model is just withstood in almost every industry. But uh if, I think that there would just be so many more chances and different people that would be able to do this about like, you know, creating d- different types of reusable rocket companies to be able to bring different people to space. Um, but I do think that even though there are companies like Blue Origin, individuals like Jeff Bezos who are doing that, we do still have public companies like I, you know i think so many people focus on nasa and then comparing it to like spacex you know or just they'll just say elon and bezos but it's like there's a whole other world out there of european space agency indian space agency you know isro jaxa um Ariane group Ariane space i mean there's so many companies that are doing these different things and um i think it's a a natural human 
position for us to have these varying formats of something like this, like bringing people to space. Um, and, and I think that all of them play a very important role as a step to having uh, just more of society starting to do stuff like this, maybe like creating bigger ventures to, um, you know, go to another planet to explore like other bodies to the more that we're actually exploring space, I think the more that we're really starting to understand Earth, because if we never went to space in the first place, we wouldn't have, you know, Earth satellites, we wouldn't have Earth observation satellites and um, specific organizations with huge amounts of uh, you know, researchers and scientists that are analyzing weather patterns on our planet, analyzing what's what's changing with our oceans, analyzing what's changing, you know, with our body of, you know, planet that we live on. So I think all of these different components are playing a role. And it's hard to see that in the long term when we see these things immediately in front of us and can quickly, you know, uh, you know, put our opinions on it, which which is, you know, rightfully so. It's we're humans, we have the freedom of speech, not going to get into that right now, or Twitter. But um, that's something that I think that since we have this ability, it's expected. But at the same time, um, we have a structure where anyone, if they have an idea and can really f- push themselves to make it happen, meet the people they need to meet, gather the resources, you know, make a company happen. Um, Like anyone can literally make that possible hypothetically in the abstract. For sure, you know, you want to tie back to sort of childhood and and how, you know, they're raised or what, what the environments they're in or what level of poverty are they in. But I think it's that being said, it's like, if there's anything we've learned kind of just at least about speaking just with the United States, with our structure is like, there's been people that have been able to come from all different walks of life, all different countries, all different languages, and be able to create something really uh, big sometimes here. For sure, there's also you know a, a, an, a, a pessimistic side to this too. Like there are things that end up going to destruction and not doing well and causing problems for humanity. Um, but this is sort of, I think, our natural order of things as people is to constantly try new things and explore. So so my opinion, I would say on as far as like, you know, the maybe the Blue Origin flights where it's more of these like rides that people are paying for. It was very much like that at the very beginning of, you know, aircraft and, and people flying. And it was, I, I think I probably sound like a broken record because I've mentioned this quite a lot, but having uh, so much of that only be available to those who were very wealthy. And if we just stopped it because we said, well, it should be available to everyone, but we don't have the you know funds to make that happen yet. We don't have the materials to make that happen yet, to make it affordable. Um, then we wouldn't have what we have today as far as like modern air travel goes. So I think that like right now we don't really maybe see the next hundred years of what could happen, but but we see what's in front of us. And I think that if we maybe can be a little bit more, um, it, I know it can be tricky to, to be understanding in a way because, like, when when you see bottles of champagne being popped, it can just make you want to like turn it off. And you're like, this is so so lame. Um, but yeah, at, at the same time, uh, I guess I don't know. Um, that's yeah, I've kind of fizzled out here, but that that's sort of my point of view, and, and I think that we, I, I'm hopeful for our 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 future. Um, and for future, you know, space companies and future research too. Uh, but thank you for for calling it and, and asking that as well. Um, 
If I don't know if you had anything else you wanted to share or ask, but otherwise, I'm pre- feeling pretty good um, on on this episode. I mean, I'm going to do one more thing, which is to mention astronomy picture of the day. So um, if you guys want to go ahead and check that out, it's a really awesome picture of Jupiter. I'm pretty sure this is what was taken by the Juno mission. I'm going to share the link in the chat. And that looks really cool. And it has on the left side of the picture a shadow, a circular shadow. And this is the moon. Um, So this is really cool. This is the Earth's moon, uh, which is pretty crazy. Uh, No, this is the Earth's moon. I'm sorry. Excuse me. I was like, why does it say the Earth's moon? I'm like, how would it be? It would be be much tinier than that. This is from Ganymede, one of Jupiter's moons. Uh, So it's... It is its largest moon, and you can tell by by that shadow just how big it looks. But what I like is all the – what I like so much about this picture are all the textures um, because you can see this diversity in its atmosphere. So this is its atmosphere. These are different cyclones and storms that are happening. But the stripes that are happening on Jupiter are called bands – and I forgot the other name, but it's because of the wind patterns going in two different directions – uh, which is really interesting. Uh, the the winds on Jupiter are supposedly supposed to be very, very powerful and its atmosphere is super thick. And so when you're having these sort of opposite or opposing directions of wind currents, it creates this really kind of cyclical shape and eventually it can start to cause all these cyclones. And if you really zoom in, you can see cyclones everywhere, like 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, there's a lot more than that, but you get the point. <laughs> you can see quite a lot. Um, so I hope you guys get to go check that out um, and look at uh, astronomy picture of the day every day because that always can be a small inspiration to look up at the sky. All right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for joining. Um, I hope you guys get to, if you don't get to catch this uh, partial solar eclipse, maybe you can catch a lunar eclipse in the upcoming weeks. And um, as always, I hope you guys get to get outside and look up at the night sky, explore the cosmos a little bit. And as always, ad astra.